When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why am I with Seabus Super? Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries. Yeah, they helped me out real fast. Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, visit seabussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. World Cup Daily, day 35. It's coming to you from a couple of places. One of them is a pub in Dublin. Uh, it's O'Neill's, around the corner from Trinity College. And one of them is a house in Birmingham. I'm Jeff Lemon. Adam Collins is in the other place. I'm in this place. It's brought to you by Seabus Super, of course. The Industry uh, Retirement Fund, Super Fund, hitting your retirement for six. Seabussuper.com.au is their website. Adam... Uh, We've been keeping close tabs on a game today. I've been listening to it all on the radio while in transit to Ireland, and you've been watching it all on the the television from your um, relaxing day on the couch. Well, I wouldn't call it a relaxing day, but what I would say is, let's just unpack this for a second. You've spent a day of this World Cup with the schedule that we've been keeping. You yep. nipped over to Dublin in between the first women's one day yep. and the second women's one day during the England-New Zealand yep. game for a gig tonight. Well, it's remarkable. You know, when, when, when duty calls, you've got to do it. Uh, Janelle Monet is playing, Janelle Monet is playing in Dublin. She was playing in London on the night of the first Women's Ashes ODI, so I couldn't get to that. She's playing in Manchester on the night of the second Women's Ashes ODI, so I couldn't get to that. The only option I had was to go to the Dublin show. And uh, it's, it's very important. Now, I'm going to write a, an in-depth piece around the women's test uh, about Django Jane, which is uh, an, an epic feminist rap um, tune on Janelle Monáe's most recent album. Um, which, which, you know, it's an important piece of writing that has to be done. So I need the preparation, I need the materials, and I had to come to Ireland and see the show. No, no, I can't question that. Some of the things I've done to be at certain events over the years uh, outstrips that madness. That's fine. And I do know the pub you're at. I was there recently. I saw a busker at the front. Um, it's the same street, like that main drag there in, in Dublin where the film Once is uh, is filmed, and that's one of my Adam, all-time favourite movies. So I'm, I'm I know right sure where you, you are, Jeff. I like, so. flew back to Australia from England to go to the last night at Ding Dong Lounge or something like that. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's not too far away from... There's the very little room for critique. So, anyway, forgive the background noise. I am in a noisy pub. Um, we did say we'd record this wherever we are on the road. Um, because it's very appropriate that I'm in Ireland with a mate of mine called Erin, so it all works out. The, the aisle, who's waiting patiently while we do this, so say hello. Hello. 
<laughs> right. But, but we are going to get on with, um, with a very important wrap-up of New Zealand yes. versus um, England today. England were playing to get themselves a spot in the semi-finals. They've done that. Tell us about it in 30 seconds or less. That they have. England are through and New Zealand are probably also through for reasons that we'll explain later. They made 305, Johnny Bairstow, back-to-back hundreds. Another big opening stand with Jason Roy, 123 this time. Those two together are on fire. They lost their way a little bit towards the back end of their innings. They only made 305. They should have made a lot more, but the pitch was quite slow. In response, New Zealand were never in it. Uh, Marty Guptill was caught down the leg side from a magnificent Joss Butler catch, which was the high point of a fairly anemic chase. Tom Latham top scored with 57. They were all out with five overs to go for 186. England the winners by 119 runs. There you go. That was pretty good. That felt like 30 seconds. I also had a a lasagna arrived um, while you were doing that 30-second wrap. um, And it looks really good. The the cheese at the top is very melty, but I'm not going to be able to hop into it for the next seven minutes because, you know, we've we've got to do... 10 to 15 minutes of searing cricket analysis. So there's no day off from the final That's another word. difference between you and me. You'd another difference between you and me is that if, if it were me sitting over there right now, I would mute the recorder in between bit, bits that I yep. was doing to, to eat mouthfuls of the lasagna, yep. but you'll wait studiously till we're done. Well, you could also hoover the entire thing up within about 42 seconds, so it's not a skill that I possess. Um, look... So England, you know, they looked convincing today. They basically did a carbon copy of what they did against India, which is Roy makes 60, Bairstow goes on to make 100, um, and that's enough, even though they don't really nail it from that point on. And we've seen that pattern so many times now in this World Cup of teams getting off to a really good start, laying a massive platform at about 30, 35 overs, and then it falls over at the end. Almost nobody's gone on and done the real put the foot down through the last 15. It's stark contrast to 2015, where it seemed like every match a team was scoring 150 in the last 10, you know, with only four men out. Yeah, there's a bit to take from this. Think about where England were maybe five days ago. They had two elimination games, two, I guess, quarterfinals, if you like, back-to-back one against in- India and then one against New Zealand. We've, they've come through with flying colours, mostly due to their opening partnership. Uh, Will McPherson, our friend and colleague from the Evening Standard, put up a tweet before saying that Bairstow and Roy average 99.7 together, um, opening the batting in seven one-dayers this year. Um, their, their run rate together at the top of the list is 7.05. So, I mean, that's it, kind of an open and shut, isn't it? If those two get together mm. and bat for more than about a quarter of an hour, yep. um, you're in serious trouble. And that's what they were able to do again today. I think they made their half centuries within a couple of balls. It was such a well-paced start, a very uh, you know, a potent power play, which gave New Zealand no chances early. And then after that, Bairstow was in absolute cruise control on the way to 100. When Roy got out, which was due to a bit of cagey bowling from Jimmy Neesham running his fingers down the seam, a good snaffle from Mitchell Santner at, uh, at short cover, I think it was. Uh, that, that was a bit of a, a method we saw later and worked really well. England lost seven for 117 at one stage towards the back end. So it did slow up considerably and their run rate, I think, was five and over through those last 20 overs. Yeah. So well played to New Zealand getting them back, especially Nisham, who took two for 41 off 10. Um, Trent Bolt took two in the middle, which was important. Matt Henry as well. And Mitchell Sartner bowled really nicely. But um, the damage was largely done by the openers. A, a really nice moment there, though. At the end, uh, Tim Southey, he's been riding the bench throughout this World Cup. Got his opportunity, came in and, and picked himself up a World Cup wicket. He took seven for 33 against England last time he played them in a World Cup. Um, but he only was able to pick up the one today. Adil Rashid bowled towards the end. He batted well, Rashid, but, um, but Saudi got through him in the end as they, they tried to clout a few in the last over. 
Yeah, we saw. I mean, just to give a sense of how hard it was to bat out there. Or, or I don't know, like, was it hard to bat out there? I mean, it looked at anyway. It looked like it got a lot slower. Um, ben Stokes, who we watched play an amazing innings for 79 or 59 balls three days ago, yep. he made 11 off 27, and he's in glittering form. So um, it, it did. It did look like. 305 looked like a very, very, very good score. It didn't look like they're throwing away 350. It looked like the, 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 the about the right target after the fantastic start they had where, yeah, the Open has put on 123. And then for New Zealand's part, I mean, they lost Henry Nichols when the score was two. They didn't review the leg before, nor should they. Wokes had him plumb in front. And the second wicket, that catch-off Gupsal, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to view it, Jeff. I know you were listening on the radio, but the absolute perfect leg side dismissal off a yeah. fast bowler in real time watching how quick it went with Archer um, they showed the replay from behind the wicket uh, amazing bit of footwork just to get in position then to let his body weight you know move over as quickly as he could just getting down with his left glove we, we did that podcast with Joss I don't know was it a week and a half ago or something like yeah. that when we recorded it we didn't spend a single second talking about his wicket keeping with Butler we talked about his, I guess his leadership and his personality and his explosive batting but it's easy to forget or discount the fact that he's a fine wicketkeeper as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's so easy to get seduced by his batting that um, you don't necessarily follow, um, you know, follow what else is going on. I tell you what, on this table, a cannelloni has just arrived, and it looks identical to a lasagna. Um, I don't know how they tell them apart in the kitchen. They're made in the same dish with the same healthy covering of cheese and the same fries. Um, you know, just a memo to O'Neill's if you're listening in. Maybe put a put a little flag in it, a little Italian flag in the top or something. I don't know. Help us out. Nonetheless, um, New Zealand did what they've done. They've they've been disappointing with the bat. Aside from Williamson, basically, they've they've looked like a one man team with the bat, and it was that way again. You know, they they've lost their openers for bugger all pretty much time and time again throughout this tournament. They've made the change with Nichols. It hasn't worked. Marty Guptill hasn't made a run in this World Cup after making a double hundred in the 2015 World Cup. And it just gives you the feeling that they can't... How can they compete when they're not getting that? All Everything relies on Williamson and Taylor. And today they were both run out, you know, and Williamson was unlucky, the, the classic straight drive that, that gets palmed back onto the stumps and then Taylor took on a second that really wasn't there and was well short even though you could tell as soon as he turned for the second he was he knew he was in strife and he was absolutely belting it down and put in the full dive and still was short by a foot so there was never that second there. That was a brain explosion I mean especially after losing Williamson in the unluckiest way you can get out that classic sort of as you say flick onto the stumps in the follow through of Mark Wood to get out, run out the next over, and to get out taking on, of all people, I mean, Adil Rashid is the weakest fielder in England's side. He had Ross Taylor two metres short, which highlights what a bad decision it was to take a second run there. I mean, I think the observation on radio was that he put his head down and started running as soon as he turned. He, he knew he was in enormous trouble. I, I can't work out, as I say, I think it was just a, a brain explosion from someone who's normally so calm at the crease. Was Ross Taylor, he's been a match winner against England time and time again so that was really disappointing and then we got into the I wouldn't call it junk time but because I mean net run rate is important and we're going to come to that in a second but a a period of the game where New Zealand really couldn't win once Tom Latham was out uh, caught behind by Butler as well I think that was also down the leg side wasn't it Um, the the game drifted in a pretty familiar direction when the run rate got way out of hand and they were bowled out five overs prematurely Mark Wood finished with 
three for 34, which was important for him. One for 17 from Archer from seven overs. Uh, Plunkett was bowled beautifully in those middle overs again. Yeah. One for 28. The, the spinner, Rashid, picked up one. Stokes got a wicket with his first ball. So, as usual, uh, Ben Stokes um, immediately making an impact with the ball. He has a habit of doing that, much like yeah. when Graham Swan used to play for England. He has a habit of getting a wicket almost straight away. But anyway, the point being is that we, we got to the stage where New Zealand were incentivized to bat the whole 50 overs. And, Jeff, we've talked about this, and they didn't, I should add, but that was their incentive. And we've talked about this several times on the, the Daily Show through the course of the tournament. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that for the next 48 hours, there's going to be an enormous amount of scrutiny on that run rate because despite the fact that Pakistan beat New Zealand a week ago... Yeah. Um, that's not going to be important because their net run rate was so damaged by the West Indies in their very, very first game of the tournament yeah. that there is really no mathematical way that Pakistan can leapfrog New Zealand even if they finish on the same amount of points. And that feels like a yeah. real injustice to me. Well, Pakistan, I, I think that basically the maths are that they would have to make about 400 against Bangladesh and then bowl them out for about 85 um, in order to progress. Or alternatively, bowl first, you know, bowl out Bangladesh for 100 and then make it in six overs or something like that. So, you know, it wouldn't be any more ridiculous than the 27 and over they had to get when they came back after a rain delay against India, mind you. Um, but, but, you know, sure. but, but as Lloyd Christmas said, so you're telling me there's a chance... Uh, <laughs> well, well, maybe, maybe so, maybe so. But I don't know. The way I interpret this is that Teams in games of cricket sometimes can be lopsided, especially white ball games. You can have a day when you're absolutely smashed off the park and you can bounce back the next day and be very competitive. After Pakistan lost to the West Indies in 15 overs or whatever it was, they beat England in their next game. So I feel like run rate doesn't really allow for that. They're, they're, I mean, I put on Twitter before that I feel as though the games move beyond just using a blunt measure that doesn't take into consideration wickets lost, which... Duckworth Lewis Stern does and Jeff we were talking off air before a, a listener to our show a friend of ours Nick Tuvey put up a, an alternate model uh, yep. using the Duckworth Lewis method on social media last week and Andy Zaltzman from the BBC has picked that up and and, and I mean if, if someone like Andy with his vast experiences yep. looking at that and thinking it's a better idea I hope that the smart people at the ICC will at least take a look because it's not as though we're saying net run rate didn't have a role to play Historically, especially in those early days of um, three-team and four-team tournaments. But this time around, it, it does feel wrong, especially when every team's played every team. So there is a, a reference point between Pakistan and New Zealand. Yep. Why wouldn't have that been sufficient when points were tied, rather when points were tied here? Surely the game between Pakistan and New Zealand should be more important to who progresses than the result between the West Indies and Pakistan 43 yep. days ago. And also the result between New Zealand and Sri Lanka. That's the other key to this, is that while Pakistan got yeah. smashed in their first game, New Zealand smashed another team in their first game and got a massive net run rate boost. So, um, yeah, it doesn't work out. Other people have made the point that in the 2015 game between New Zealand and Australia, when Australia was bowled out for what, what, 151 and New Zealand were 9 for 152, New Zealand got like a plus 4 net run rate boost out of that because they weren't bowled out, even though they were 9 down when they won. So it doesn't, it doesn't really add up. It doesn't work. But I think that's Hall of Fame worthy that... Um, that a final word listener and, and patron supporter Nick Tuvey has has, um, has has just while posting random stuff on Twitter has managed to put together a model that the BBC statistician has adopted as the most sensible way forward. Um, well, and this is it, isn't it? Remember when remember when we were kids growing up, Jeff, that w- watching the footy, it was always the McIntyre Final Five, and before that was the, 
the McIntyre Final Four, which, as it happens, incidentally, is what they now use in the Indian Premier League with your qualifying final, your first semi-final, your preliminary final and the grand final, a, a system that, that, that followers of Australian rules football would be well familiar with where first and second get a double chance, um, which, by the way, I'd advocate for this competition, but that's a, that's a different, different thread. Um, maybe if this does get picked up by the ICC, it will be known as the, the 2v the, the, you know, the, the TV model or something like that. Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing that, that, that something that is popped on Twitter um, has ended up influencing like the biggest decisions, one of the biggest decisions the ICC might have at the back of this tournament, uh, which, which, which could be a direct link back to the final word. I think that's beautiful. If the final word, setting the agenda in international cricket politics. Uh, this has been part one. We'll be back he with is, you in that, just That a is second. our Hall of Fame today. That is that is definitely our Hall of Fame today. Oh, yeah. Tuvi. Welcome. There's welcome no to, doubt. I was going to say that when they lost the ball in the covers at one point, in the first innings, uh, Tom Latham had to spend several minutes looking for a ball that vanished in the covers behind the bowler's arm, which was about as village as you can get. That, I thought that was a lock for Hall of Fame, but no, stuff that. In you go, Tuves. Nick Tuvi is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, part one's done. We'll be back in just a second. Some people might disagree, but we kind of have some cricket expertise. I think we have no expertise, though, when it comes to sensible things like planning and retirement and planning for retirement. Well, lucky then, we know the people who do know their stuff over at CBUS, and all CBUS members have access to their team of qualified advisors. Wow, Adam, I think I've heard of CBUS before, about 400 times on our podcast. Uh, What does a qualified advisor do? It means if you're a CBUS member, they can assist you over the phone about investment options, contribution strategies, and planning the best way to maximise your super for retirement. So you're saying they can help you maximise the middle overs and then have a big surge in the final 10? (laughs) Cricket reference, get it? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, and it's probably going to go a lot longer than the World Cup. Ah, well, you can uh, make sure you don't get caught without a retirement plan. Visit cbussuper.com.au. Do it. Do it today. This is the final word. World Cup Daily, day 35. Casting ahead to what we have next. Uh, it's the big one tomorrow, Adam. The, uh, the big one. The, the contest we've all been waiting for, Afghanistan versus the West Indies. This is Afghanistan's chance to knock off a team that's already busted. They're probably broken in the head. They're sad and sorry. They've been kicked out of the World Cup. They lost their one competitive uh, recent game against Sri Lanka after a brilliant chase, and they're in prime position to be knocked off by the battlers at the bottom of the table. Do you reckon Rihanna will come to that as well? That's kind of the one talking point leading in. Will she stick around and, and watch them play a second time in one week? Uh, yep. There's, there's not much going on there really, is there? We'll be watching because we're interested in seeing if Afghanistan can win a game and equally whether the West Indies can finish on a high note after starting so well. Uh, but beyond that, there isn't really a lot to take, is there? They won their one game of this tournament on the second day of it, the West Indies, and they've been, they've been winless since and they've been dreadful for the most part. So uh, expectations are suitably managed for them, I think. In terms of what's coming up next for the teams who played today, there isn't anything because they're in the semi-finals, basically, unless Pakistan can produce a miracle against Bangladesh on Friday. I'm sure it's going to be closely contested nonetheless, uh, but it's going to take some numerical anomaly to, to make any difference to the final four who will be as we predicted well as it looked like they would be earlier in the tournament when when they were winning comfortably and looking very well set up 
Yeah, so a little bit of pressure transfers back onto Australia. Now that England and New Zealand and India have all qualified, New Zealand effectively qualified. I say pressure, it's the wrong word. They've now got a big opportunity um, to stay in Manchester. That's that's clarified. They knew that before today, but they know that if they win, they're playing New Zealand. And, well... 99.9% chance rather they're playing New Zealand which will fill them with a lot of confidence given that New Zealand were dreadful against them at Lords last week given it'll be at Manchester where they would have played their previous game it's all lining up pretty nicely for them and by contrast to the game that we had last Sunday which the atmosphere wasn't like crazy or I think because of the there was so much on the line it was a it was more like a Lords atmosphere with like a steady hum the whole way through the day when India played England but I'm sure that'll be different in a semi-final. It'll be wild. I can't wait. It will. Um, in, in an update on the lasagna story, the cannelloni was actually lasagna, um, which was only discovered after having eaten a, a reasonable portion of it and realising it wasn't cannelloni. So someone someone else at O'Neill's, we've... Um We've got your lasagna. I'm sorry. I just have to. You can eat their meal as well. Surely you're in a situation where if you took a bite out of it, you go, "Oh, sorry, I, I didn't realise." And you could eat two meals. And I know Jeff that you've got the skills I, on that front to eat two meals I, without even looking up. I have, I have eaten two meals before, and I will eat two meals again. <laughs> I, I remember one time when we were in Manchester, just to end it off, given that's where we're headed next, that we made a spaghetti bolognese, and you thought, "No, that's not enough," and you put in a bag of potatoes in the spaghetti bolognese. Well, sometimes you just need a bit of bulk, you know. The, you need a bit of potato just to bolt things out. Sometimes, if you have a big pot, you need to fill it up. That's all I'm saying. Um, we'll be back with you tomorrow for day 36, which will be oh, so close, so close to the end of the home and away round. Um, and, and we'll also be kicking off the bracket competition for you to select which is the greatest Hall of Fame moment over the course of the World Cup. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. World Cup Daily. Brought to you by Seabus Super. Find their work at seabussuper.com.au. So we'll sort out your retirement. It's enough from us today, Adam. Day 35, we're done. World Cup Daily. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Have fun tonight. my future questions, my current senses. that be the same we've been doing for centuries. Sorry if I ran out to empty road this, so you know what I meant here. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Every day, hundreds of thousands of us are building a future we can all be proud of. For over 34 years, the growth CBUS My Super option has returned an average of 9.29% per annum for its members while investing in projects that not only create jobs, but something better. CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.